Want to start your own podcast? Anchor makes it super easy. Here's what you need to know about Anchor. Most importantly, it's free. Second, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast to numerous platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everyone. This is Michelle again, and welcome to another episode of the Worth Funding Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. I am so, so, so excited to be talking to Max Cubelier, who is one of the co-founders of the blog and newsletter, um, Africa, the Big Deal, that tracks deal flow to African startups and they have been putting out great data over the past, how many years now, Max? Uh, just nine months. Nine months. It seems <laughs> like it's been much, <laughs> much longer because when people have been, you know, craving good data and it comes along, it just feels like you've had it for longer than it's been. So I, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself and then we're going to get into this very juicy topic of deal flow to African startups. So, Great. Max. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to get to, uh, uh, to talk today. Uh, so my name is Max. I, um, what do I do? Uh, we, I do Africa the big deal with my, uh, with my ex-colleague and, and great friend Maxime, but that's more what I do in the evenings and the weekends uh, because I like to get busy apparently. <laughs> um, so through Africa the big deal, as you said, what we do is we track and we analyze deal flow data in, uh, in Africa. So when I say I've been involved for the past about nine months because I'm more in charge of like uh, analyzing the data and doing the visuals and the newsletter while well, Maxime has actually been doing it for three years now so it is three years old uh, tracking the deals uh, for now more than seven and a half billion dollars worth of deal tracked in the in the database so that's what I do evenings and weekends and my day job I work for uh, GSM mobile for development where we support uh, projects a lot of them actually run by startups that leverage uh, digital technology to address uh, local socioeconomic challenges in, in Africa, in emerging Asia and beyond. Yeah, and I, I've actually met Max before. Yep. We were in a course together at Andy on impact investment, I believe. Yeah, it was pre-pandemic. <laughs> yes, those pre-pandemic days. Yeah, I remember our table. I remember you being a distraction, Max. <laughs> I usually am. Sorry. I don't think we ever did finish that valuation for that, that company that we were working on. And so Max just distracted us and I went along because I didn't want to do it either. <laughs> so, so we're here to talk about the big deal, deal flow to Africa. And, oh. you know, I've been tracking the data myself. I'm a subscriber to your newsletter. So for all you listening, if you care about this type of information, definitely sign up to Africa, the big deal. Um, the data is great. The visuals, the way you put out the information, very sort of clippy, um, it, very well done. But it, it, it's also impactful 
because part of what I want to focus on talking about is the data around deal flow to women founders. Mm -hmm. And while it's not surprising, because for those of us who work in the international development sphere, or even in in, in, in the startup funding world, we understand that there's a gender funding gap. Mm-hmm. But when you see it and you see it, you know, in the in the very stark visuals that you put out, it becomes even more impactful. And then you start asking the questions, well, well, why is this? Mm-hmm. So I know you might have some thoughts around what accounts for this gender funding gap. What are your thoughts? Because um, I know when that data was put out, you got lots of questions because it was so, so noticeable. Yeah. Everyone was like, well, damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I liked the title that you had for that newsletter, which is like crumbs, basically, <laughs> which is really what it was. So let's get into this crummy data. Yeah. I mean, be- beyond the pun, the idea is really to try and attract attention to to the topic, obviously, which is a very, uh, very serious one. Um, I mean, first, I think it's it's actually important to just maybe set the scenes very, yes. uh, very quickly for those people who might not have these numbers in mind. Um, and like there's there's always this very great quote from from Peter Drucker that says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. I don't think it's always necessarily true, but I think in case of gender, there's such a lack of gender disaggregated data in, in so many areas that I think that when there is data, it's actually important to share it. So I was looking back at those numbers and just to give everybody like in a few numbers a view of what's what's happening in terms of gender and and vc funding on the african continent so last year we tracked 4.3 billion dollars of deals um out of those 4.3 billion 3.5 billion were raised by founding team made exclusively of men so either one man or a team of men so that's 82 percent of the amount that goes to teams that have zero women in them and then you have 12%, 12%, yeah, you have them printed. You have 12, seven, sorry, 17% of the amount that goes to diverse teams. So like at least one, uh, one woman in there. And then if you look at kind of like the, the, the corresponding number of like teams made exclusively of women that raise funding, it's less than 1%. It's $41 million out of $4.3 billion that's raised by team exclusively made. Of, of women that shows you kind of like the the divide it's it's less than a percent and actually it's interesting to also look at like seal uh gender because we obviously see something quite uh, uh um equivalent on the ceo side because the ceo tends to be part of the founding team so um and and actually what we see is that when the founding team is diverse the ceo tends to be more likely a man than a woman except actually that's the silver lining here except when it's a team of founding with one man one woman actually two-thirds of the funding was raised by ceo that are female compared to male so there is there is kind of like a, a glimmer of hope here but overall 93 percent of the funding uh, that's 4 billion out of 4.3 billion was raised by male ceo so that's the these are the numbers and i think it's important just to to, to get a sense of what the size of the issue we're, we're talking about here. Um, and, y- and your question, like what, what can be done, well, done before, about this? Before we get there, Max, but these yep. numbers are, are kind of consistent with what, with other uh, data that we know. 
it certainly yeah. is consistent with the data here in the U.S. in terms of Absolutely. funding that goes to women. And then when you start breaking it down by, you know, um, ethnicity, then it gets even, <laughs> even, yeah. even smaller. So getting back to, to the why. Yeah. What are some um, of your thoughts? So in terms of the why, I mean, there are many factors and I, and I just think like this is just a symptom of much bigger problems in our societies and our economies. I think mm -hmm. like anything related to gender, um, there is like, there are socioeconomic uh, 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 reasons behind this. There are due to social norms or the way our economies are built, like there are less incentives for women to take risks and maybe just like leave their job and become an entrepreneur. Um, there are biases as well. And I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to the point of biases, but mm -hmm. there's so much research, like what, what's infuriating sometimes, there's so much research that's done that proves that diverse team like overachieve, but still- And the research is abundant. Yes, it is. It is there. It's it's been it's been done and it's there. And it's easy to find, but still, you still get like investors investing massively, mostly in non-diverse founding teams and non-diverse teams, which is is it that so is that maybe because people do familiar things and they do yeah. business with familiar people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is a bias we all have. We we relate more easily to things that look like us and think like us and have studied where we've studied and so on. So it's it you have to be intentional to break those uh, those barriers. I was actually I like just that word intentional. intentional. Yeah, absolutely. I've been talking about that. I was just on Sean Salas's um, podcast called Fundamental um, Fairness, and we were talking about financial inclusion. And I'm like, intentionality is the antidote. Yep. to exclusion because you have to be intentional about who you want to include so that you don't accidentally exclude them. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, other, other factors that I can think of, there's, there's representation. I mean, obviously, and it's, I mean, if you don't have women in government, if you don't have women as investors, if you don't have women as entrepreneurs, like this is not going to happen and it's not just like a token having a woman as a role model here and there like it it is having an active role for women active to play players. all these all yeah. these areas and and also like all this keeping in mind something you mentioned earlier what's hard for women is harder for women of color for instance so we need to think about like intersectionality it's not just having like the tick of having a woman it's just having a representation of like who the who the population is because mm -hmm. oftentimes if the bar is just women then when you look at it it's usually just white women right if you're not being intentional of being inclusive of different types of of, of races and nationalities of women that's usually yeah. the first step yeah mm -hmm. i mean it can be a first step but it needs to go beyond mm -hmm. that absolutely absolutely and, you know, in Africa, it, it, it becomes a little bit more interesting, like you said, because of some of the social norms, mm -hmm. um, because that's that's a continent where uh, social exclusion is is quite problematic, particularly for women for various reasons. Right. Um, and especially in the financial space, financial inclusion for women is is a massive problem. And so you throw in all of these different issues, you know, sometimes like, you know, a woman might have to have a male family member to open up a bank account or, yep. you know, to be able to go beyond, you know, certain perimeters, you know, she can't, mm -hmm. you know, so there are all of these things that play into it and, and create and add to 
the biases that are there. But yeah. there was something else that someone pointed out, and I noticed myself, is that a lot of these deal flows went to fintech. And yep. that the tech area and fintech in particular might not be where a lot of you know African female founders are represented. And yep. maybe that could put, uh could be part of the reason for these numbers. Um, what are your thoughts related to that? I want to say, I think it would be too easy to blame it on fintech uh, because it's really a, a systemic issue. And mm-hmm. I've looked at the number, I mean, looking at like specific countries or specific uh, um, uh, sectors. And it's, I mean, the reality is that the number of deal is getting big. We have like more than 800 deals over $100,000 last year. So there's, there's a good pool. But once you start doing the cut by country, by sectors, like it becomes more anecdotal what you're mm. seeing. Um, and the reason, I mean, on, on the fintech tag, there is one reality. The, the tech space tends to be male dominated mm-hmm. traditionally. Um, and in a lot of markets, the uh, financial services, financial sector space also tends to be male dominated. So if you, when you combine the two, it is clear that you maybe are more likely to have like men going into, uh, um, into this type of, uh, of activities. That said, I mean, we're, we're seeing like good activity in that front from, from women as well. I don't think it should be all blamed on, on fintech. Fair enough. Do you see any movement going towards sort of more diverse uh, areas of investments where maybe we might see more female founders represented? Or is it still sort of concentrated in, in, in the tech sector? Um, in, in, in what sense? Sorry. You know, in terms of the funding. So we know that, you know, sort of tech is at the top, but what else is there? Where else? you know, are these funding dollars going? Oh, yeah. And, and what's, uh, and I, well, I think it's, it's, we know what's sort of driving it. Like, well, well, what works? You know, it's easy to scale tech. Tech is an uh, enabler. So, so that's sort of the easy part. But how do we get to where we are able to um, include more women? Because maybe there, there's not that, right. There is some representation in tech, but are there areas Mm. Um, where there are more women, where we could potentially, you know, if more funding was being sort of pushed and funneled in those areas, we could see possibly more representation. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so everything we look at has a tech component. We're looking at start uh, startups, but it it is true that for some of them, it might be health tech, it might be like ed tech, ed tech it might be like uh-huh. specific sectors and yeah. so on. Um, I think. From what we're seeing, there are really women trying to build innovation in all the sectors. I don't, I don't think there's like one, one sector that's driving more women than, than the other. Um, that said, women founders might be a little bit more represented in like areas like health and education, where they have more firsthand experience or a stronger interest in making the system work, work better for, for them and their family. But for looking at the number, it doesn't really translate that much into women attracting much more VC investment in these areas. So I But also edtech yeah. doesn't really even get that much within the tech funding. It's sort of towards the bottom. It depends. It depends how you define edtech. If you have it like if you have a broad definition of it and, and include Andela, 
uh, um, Andela raised two hundred million dollars last year. It's I feel like that's an that's kind of an outlier. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is definitely. Yeah. Uh, an, so let's an throw outlier. them out <laughs> because because they also impacted the, the 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 female number right because they have a female co-founder. Uh, co-founder so let's let's absolutely. throw them out for a second. <laughs> it's too easy. It's too easy. Um, no, no, but it's true that when you, I mean, the, the thing is when you're trying to uh, to address systemic problems like probably like K twelve education or like a basic access to basic health services you're tackling uh, um, I mean you need again and I've said that before you need systemic change so it will take a little longer and also I would say at the end of the day when you're trying to address populations that will not be the middle class which is kind of that the, 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 the juicy part of the population that everybody wants to tap into because they have a smartphone because they have available income mm. because they're like tech savvy and so on but when you're trying to get into health and to education sort of, and, and trying to reach that bop population it yeah gets a reach the difficult. masses yeah. generally mm-hmm. speaking then you have so much more issues they might not have smartphones they might not like know how to use and also they mm-hmm. might not have the available income and actually in my work with uh, with GSMA Mobile for Development, we we struggle for for quite a while on those topics of education and health because you kind of end up in a in a dead end because you want to reach these populations um, with services that they need, but that they're not they're not always valuing as much as they could or should. But also services they might not have income to pay for. So you're trying to build a business model, but your end user might actually not have the capacity to pay or might not want to pay so and and i think we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs um actually go on going towards like tackling the middle class and above rather than these populations because it's it's a lot harder and if you look at where the money is going a lot of the money is going towards like if we're talking about fintech a lot of the fintech innovation out there is smartphone reliant by design mm-hmm. it means that it will be more urban it will be for people who can afford a smartphone who live within 3g uh, coverage mm-hmm. or more people who have a proof of id uh, people who have a bank account that tends to have like all these compounding factors that mean that a lot of people are vying for very similar targets yeah. and populations because there is the digital divide as well right yeah um that contributes to also the divide and with even financial inclusion as well. Like if, if, cause especially when lots of things are tech enabled, if you as a user are not tech enabled, then you're just outside of the range of those offerings. So yeah. So there, there, there are lots of, of things behind that. Um, Someone in your comments, I think he was a professor at Pepperdine university and, and he asked, is there something female founders, are missing when setting up their startups that makes them less attractive is it is it training because everybody wants to address sort of like the demand side of the problem like well let's just train more female founders like is that is that it or is the solution something else um more upstream downstream more on the supplies like what's what's the solution or what's um, one of the solutions? Spoiler alert, I don't have the solution. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but joke aside, there's a lot that can be done. I think, first of all, I want to address this, this argument that makes me quite uncomfortable and that we hear, I hear every single time. And, and again, I started working on gender about 10 years ago when I joined the GSMA. 
every single time, which is about like, but what are female founders missing? Like, what are they doing mm -hmm. wrong? And it's like, the, the reason why I don't like this argument is because it usually goes this way. We live in a free market, money goes towards the best project. So if a female-led project is as good as a male-led project, has the same chances of attracting funding. Um, this is bonkers. Uh, <laughs> it assumes we're all like unbiased, purely rational beings. I mean, and that's not the world. Established, even computers are not unbiased. Right. So th this is, I mean, I'd say, of course, I'm sure that some women entrepreneurs are making mistakes when setting up their startup, but not more than men. And I think what they're really missing is the same access to the same opportunities as men. That's that's what the key problem is um, today. I don't think they're doing anything wrong. Um, now, in terms of what additional support they could get or support they would need, you have this question of like, is it more demand side, supply side? Um, again, going back to the communist systemic problem. So it's both demand side and supply side, in my opinion. Um, it starts very early. It starts with encouraging girls to take race, girls to study STEMs. Um, also to stop representing entrepreneurs as men everywhere. Every time you think of an entrepreneur, you think of a, Usually a white man in a, in a, I was about to say in a suit, that's probably more in a hoodie. In a hoodie these days if yeah. we're talking tech. <laughs> Having role models, like the, there's the big things and the small things. I was like, at the beginning of 2021, um, there was Sarah Menka, who's the CEO of Grow Intelligence, who raised $85 million. They're based in Kenya. Um, she was one of the Times 100, I think it's called most influential people. Like, this type of things are extremely important because it, it, it just, shows the world that it's not just, yeah, a, a certain part of the population that's, that's driving change and so on. There is great talent of um, every gender and every skin color and every uh, um, 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 culture, generally speaking. So I think that's, that's quite important. That's a few things on the demand side. Um, now on the supply side, I mean, it's, it's the whole conversation about investors being aware of their biases. Um, and, and on this, I mean, there's a lot of work that can be done by investors themselves, but investors have bosses. They have mm. LPs. They have the people putting in the money. And those people have power. And I, I mean, this, I remember reading very interesting articles like in the US saying like, you have power because you have your pension your, your pension fund that you're mm -hmm. contributing to is then going to invest that money. And you have the power to tell them like, stop investing it in like anything that you think is going to harm the society or the planet or anything in the same way, like the LPs have the power to take, to tell the investors and the VCs, like you need to have this as a criteria. You need to be very careful about like gender when you approach your investment. Um, and then again, the idea here is not just because it's nice to invest in women. It's because like you need a diverse portfolio to have the highest return. Uh, again, going back to the, the research, it's, it's there. And I think it's also been, I think you also need, there, there are now examples, not just research that, um, that prove that you can make money um, this way by investing in diverse profile. Like in the US, there's, there's Arlen Hamilton and, um, and Backstage, yeah, Backstage Capital. Capital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, this is what they're doing. They just said, like, actually, I'd almost say that instead of competing with 100 other investors that are trying to put their money into the same guys, like kind of the obvious winners or those who look like obvious There's winners. There's opportunity like in you, diversity. 
absolute but there's there's so many hidden gems mm-hmm. that might not it might actually not be such a bad strategy to try and go for those um even if you're just being like purely capitalistic and just like where is the opportunity to make money mm-hmm. and i think there's there's the thing you usually hear and we heard that in that training for years ago together uh, the, when we were in together like follow the money it's like it's not just about following the money um it's also about like looking for new places where the potential might be and when you have parts of the population that are completely underfunded that's where there is potential yeah and don't do lazy investing because you say you're looking for innovation but you're not being innovative in in how how you allocate your capital and going back to talking about you know lps putting pressure on you know on 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 their bosses or things like that but it depends on who who are the who are the LPs. Yep. You know who, the, how diverse is this fund. You know, so yep. it, it it all tracks back to that intention, <laughs> yeah, intentionality piece. Who's there? What are their values? What do they care about? And and even if it's not their values, just being innovative enough to, like you said, follow the money, right? Yep. Because even if you don't like me, I'll take your money anyway, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, so I can fund my business yeah. because I'm a good bet, you know? So it, it, and I've been talking to some, some female angel investors on the continent in Mauritius. I've done a few episodes with future females yeah. invest. And I've talked to Hema Valab, who is um, starting up um, the 35 or um, 535 yeah. ventures in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And the importance of having more women as investors in the angel and the, the VC space and the importance of that and, 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 and the lens that they bring um, to the funding landscape, because we have to be, as women, we have to be a part of the solution, right? But it's not just us. Yep. The, the men who are there, who are probably there and, you know, not probably, absolutely there in larger numbers still, although yep. more women are getting into the space, um, to think just more critically uh, about what it is that we're, we're actually trying to do. There, there is still a long way to go, though. And talking to like investors or people who want, like women who want to become investors or uh, business angels and so on, there's always this um, kind of when you, when you, I remember one of them saying, you enter the room of a woman, like people will assume that you'll do gender-focused investment. Like, of course, you might you might have a certain sensitivities to understand like a female founder, where they come mm-hmm. from and so on, a little bit better than a man or a lot better in some cases. But I mean, we should not pigeonhole women yeah. uh, who are business angels, investors and so on into only serving women. Yeah. Um, because, because the reason why the system doesn't quite work today is because men are mostly serving men. So let's not make mm-hmm. the same mistake by having women serve only women. Right. No, I agree. But I I understand the tendency to like, okay, well, they're not being served. So we have to, to go and do that and focus on them. But I, I totally, I totally, you should not prevent, you should not prevent a good female investor from working on deals that are like, absolutely with a mostly male team or with a male CEO, that'd be, that'd be actually like putting them at a disadvantage. And this is not what we need. Unless that's your funding thesis yeah, <laughs> to absolutely. only fund, you know. But then everybody women. does it. Yeah. Everybody yeah. does it, not just your female investor in the team. Right. Yeah. So people also wanted to know a little bit more about like funding per capita. Yeah. 
how does that change things? So that's that's an interesting one that I, that I looked at a, a few days ago because there's obviously, I mean, the main reaction you get is like, yeah, you get three or four markets that attract. I mean, for for explain sorry. a little bit for our listening audience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I'm just thinking. Yeah, I have I have the picture in front of my <laughs> eyes, uh, even when I close my eyes. So it's it's a little bit easier. But the reality today, so I, I was saying, four point three billion dollars went to Africa startups in Africa mm-hmm. last year. Um, 81% of that amount goes to just four markets. Um, And it's Nigeria, it's South Africa, it's Kenya, and it's Egypt. Um, Then you've got the 19 remaining person that go to about like 25 other markets. And then you have have 25 other markets that record zero activity. Um, So that shows you like you kind of have three groups. Those big four, um, and I'll come to the case of Senegal because some people will argue now it's a big five. But anyway, the big four. Um, but if you took perfect. out Wave, would it be that big? If you took out Wave, it wouldn't be that big. It would still be like a good performance. It mm-hmm. would still be, I think, $22, $23 million raised last year, yeah. which would, given given uh, Senegal's population and GDP, would be actually a very it's good fairly performance. Good, yeah. Now, when you had $200 million to it, obviously, it just bumps it to, uh, uh, um, to, to number five. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, I think it was interesting to look at funding per capita just to give people an idea and of, of what we're talking about. So the, the, the biggest market is South Africa um, because it is, it is like the third largest economy, but it's, I think it's number six in terms of population. So obviously it just creates that, that kind of uh, a, a bias towards a higher uh, um, funding per capita. We're still at $16.00. Um, and I haven't done this post yet, but it will come in the coming weeks. The idea is to also compare to other regions. What was it in India? What was it in China? What was mm-hmm. it in like comparable parts of the world to just see how things are going? I'm not going to compare to the US because, yeah, I don't know. You're in the hundreds of dollars per inhabitant. Mm-hmm. But, but again, this is a complete different uh, setup. But I think what's quite interesting is when you compare like Nigeria. I mean, Nigeria, you shouldn't be surprised that, the, that they, they raised around a third of the funding but at the end of the day there's the largest economy and then the most populous country so this mm-hmm. is kind of like okay you're holding your you're holding your spot but when you compare so size to, does matter so size i mean size does matter in my opinion it does um because especially when you're an early stage startup you you have your addressable market and it's it's not just i mean we're using the metrics that we have. It's not just a full population. I think it would be more interesting to compare to like the size probably, and going back to our previous conversation, the size of the middle class, mm-hmm. because this is really where like most of the startups are, um, are going. Targeted, yeah. so, so it does. And obviously if you're launching in Guinea today, compared to launching in Nigeria, an investor will just say like, okay, Nigeria, you already have 200 million plus people. You have a, 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 a good like good middle class in, in urban areas, there's like, you can grow in Nigeria for a couple, two, three years before going to the next market. If you're in Guinea, you might have to think of like going to Senegal or Cote d'Ivoire very quickly because you're going to run out of, of prospects in your, mm-hmm. in your own um, markets. I think that's quite So important. it could make a difference if whatever your innovation is, whatever you're working on is something that is easily scalable beyond your borders in a short yes. time frame. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, scaling is is uh, scaling remains a big issue. Um, mm-hmm. I think no, 
the scaling and is replicating the scaling within your market mm -hmm. uh which is kind of it is still complicated for a startup but you remain like it's still the same regulatory framework it's still the same like market and so on so it's it's easier it's replicating in my opinion in my opinion that's that's quite hard um because you're you might have a different language but more importantly today you still have like it's not always easy you you in some cases you go back to the drawing board in terms of how you're going to register your company how you're going to get the right license how you're going to understand the uh, the regulation and so on it's a really big investment mm -hmm. and what we're seeing and i've heard that at least three times last year from startups that are starting to do well that are raising tens of millions of dollars and so on that are saying like our replication plan I mean, two of them were in Nigeria and they were saying our replication plan is not looking towards Ghana or Cote d'Ivoire. Our replication plan is looking at how we can take our business model to Brazil or to Indonesia or to India. Because if we're going to invest money into entering a new market, setting up a company, hiring locally, understanding the regulatory framework and so on, we might as well do it in a market with 200 million people. Um, Makes business sense. Yeah, and 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 bigger economy. So mm -hmm. to that point, I think size matters, um, but I don't think size is everything. I think there's like the, the good example of Kenya. Kenya is doing really really well, and um, and actually, if you look at funding per capita, Kenya is on par with Nigeria because Nigerian startups have raised four times as much as Kenyan startup but there are four times as many Nigerians as mm -hmm. Kenyans. So when you look at per capita, actually Kenya is doing, uh, is doing quite well. And then another counter example to that is Ethiopia. Because if you look at Ethiopia, second most populous country in Africa in the top 10 in terms of largest GDP, raised the startups in Ethiopia raised, I think about four or $5 million last year, which is nothing, which is less than in Rwanda, for instance, which, which sits- but Do you think that the ongoing conflict in Ethiopia had anything to do with that? So there is obviously the, the conflict that had an impact, but there, there is more than that. Um, because the, the, year, the year prior, I think it was just over $10 million. So still, mm -hmm. still nothing compared to in Nigeria, South Africa, and Egypt. If you look at the size, of, of the population and the size of the economy, they should be doing better. Obviously, yeah. the conflict and enabling um, environment helps. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And this is one where, that's conflict free, preferably. <laughs> yes. So enabling environment has a lot of things. It has security. It has political. It has yeah. regulation, yeah. regulation, like regulation, regulatory, regulatory concerns. Yeah. 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 So so all of these, but obviously, like uh, um, and the situation in the, in the second half of 2021 had had an impact so what's the hope for smaller economies with smaller population size um that's a very good question um i think because it's it's a it's a very important one because you don't want to discourage talent and people with great ideas and great skills and so on in those markets, not to uh, uh, not to look into serving their own markets. I was talking to a, a um, like great entrepreneur from Guinea. This is why I was mentioning Guinea earlier uh, um, last month, and is trying to tackle health tech in his own market and. 
like I would hate to just tell him like, you know what, what you need to do is move to Nigeria and do what you want to do in Nigeria because you've got a bigger market there. Like, no, there, there are very strong needs to be served everywhere. And you could also consider that those markets, maybe the, the, the 25 roughly that didn't show any VC activity last year, they're the disadvantage obviously, but there's a lot to be taken there because if you do something great, there are a lot of people who are waiting to invest in those markets who have this actually... Like there maybe, are some people who are there, you yes, know, they're not absolutely. hitting the big radar, but there's some level of activity there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you still have smaller markets in terms of like size of the economy and size of the population that can do well. I mean, Senegal did really well thanks to Wave, but even without Wave would be in the top 15 uh, in terms of VC funding while they're not in the top 15 in terms of population or in terms of GDP. Uh, same thing can be said of Rwanda. Like mm-hmm. there, I mean, it's, it's still just above $10 million raised last year. But when you look at where they, where they sit in terms of GDP and population, you can punch above your weight, but it is harder. Yeah, but Rwanda is punching above its weight in a lot of areas because there's a lot of intentionality to their, yeah. their growth strategy um, vis-a-vis some of the other countries so yeah yeah there's there's a political will Mm -hmm. there's uh um but there's also like on the regulation side if you Mm -hmm. look at the story of zipline the reason why zipline a u.s company really made their breakthrough in rwanda is because they found their regulatory environment that helped them test their drones um and test a lot of their technology and their ideas so if you create this kind of like fertile environment you can attract funding so we talked about size. What role does language play? Because if you look at where the countries where, and, and not just size, uh, mm-hmm. the money is fundamental until it's mainly the Anglophone countries. And I feel like a lot of investors just sort of like leave the Francophone countries to the French. Um, talk about that. Do you see anything in, in your research? Do you have any um, thoughts? On, uh, on that <laughs> or again just kind of like people go where it seems easier and where the opportunities are of course in terms of market size and you know enabling environment do you have any I think thoughts it's a on matter that? of time I think it's really a matter of time I think that the VC industry generally speaking um, and I'm not a, a, an historian of the VC industry but I just feel like it started in the U.S. Um, it started in English, like a lot of things these mm-hmm. days, like it's a global language, it starts there. So a lot of the, the talent and the people who started investing money and so on, it was done there. And they were probably maybe a little bit more looking out from, from there. So I'm not surprised that when you go to a new geography, for instance, mm-hmm. or a new continent, or we've seen, we've seen quite a few very large investors like Sequoia or SoftBank do very large deals in Africa um, last year. Um, but if you're going to go to a new market, you have to do due diligence in an environment that you don't know. If you can do it in the language that you speak, or at least the language that most people will speak and can communicate in English, it is a lot easier. So I think it's it's just it's just a port of entry that was like the English language. That said, if you look at Egypt, I'm pretty sure looking at the profile of the company raising and the type of investors, like a lot of invest a lot of local investors, investors from the Middle East and North Africa region, I'm pretty sure some of these deals are done in Arabic already. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
And I think French speaking countries will see like a lot more happening. There, there are already a lot of investors in Africa, including like quite active ones like Partech, for instance, whose team speak French um, because, because they are from, from West Africa or because they come from, from VC uh, um, in, in France. And that, like, that actually, I would say, gives them an edge. It gives them access to like, deals that might fly completely under the radar for uh, uh, a VC that doesn't have someone in their team who speaks the language. Now, as we as we start to wrap up the conversation, I almost don't want it to end, but I'm like, <laughs> do people want <laughs> to continue listening to, to us <laughs> beyond this? What what are you looking forward to um, to seeing play out in the numbers in 2022? Um, I think it's. Uh, there's growth, obviously. Everybody expects growth. I mean, 2021 was uh, two and a half the amount raised in 2020. And it's like, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, how is the ecosystem going to live up to that? Like, you, how, you, how are they going to do 2.5x, like, next year? Or this year, actually, that would be like, what, 12, 12 million, 12 billion, sorry, something mm-hmm. like that. Like, where is that money going to come from? But beyond just growth from the sake of growth, I think there are two things that I'm looking at. I'm looking at more diversity. I'm looking at like hoping that Nigeria, South Africa, Egypt, uh, Kenya will keep growing, but that we'll see actually growth, even faster growth to catch up from the rest of the countries. I'm also hoping that the countries that today are not on the radar will actually start attracting investment and getting more visibility. I'm looking for more diversity in terms of the sectors. I mean, fintech is still like a very big chunk of the money that's raised. I'm mm-hmm. looking for like other areas growing. I'm looking for more diversity in terms of the gender of the CEO or the gender profile of the, of the founding team. And there's one thing that I'd be looking out for because this is something that's coming up in conversation quite a lot. There have been 12 mega deals with 11 companies in 2021, like nearly $2 billion that went into just 10 deals. And they're deals over $100 million that involve the Sequoia, that involve like a SoftBank Vision Fund too and so on. I'll be keeping an eye on those deals because if they perform well, they can, they have the potential to be like the business cards for Africa and attract even more money. If one or two of them actually don't go in the direction the investors wanted them to, Mm -hmm. I think anybody involved or looking at, at the ecosystem will have a lot of work to just make sure that it doesn't just translate into Africa is not reliable. Africa is too risky. And this is the risk when you're at the beginning, when you only have like a few poster uh, uh, children that will mm-hmm. attract a lot of attention for obvious reasons. They raised a lot of money, but I mean, they might have a bad 2022. That doesn't mean they're a bad business, but I'll be very- and they don't careful. represent the entire continent of, Absolutely of deals not. that are- <laughs> And, that and exist, this is yeah. why it's, it's all in the nuance. And this is why I think it's important to just show what's happening in the overall ecosystem, because we wouldn't want one or two not so great story to just start taking the whole ecosystem back a year or two or three or five, just because this is what gets the attention. I just the feel like the is- way- yeah, the truth is, Max, a lot of uh, companies that raise ridiculous amounts of money still fail anyway. 
here in the U.S. and other places. So don't paint a narrative that, you know, this, you know, geography is is risky and it's unreliable because there are some failures. You got to expect failures in this game. Yeah, but there's a lot, there's a lot of bias. There's a lot of preconception around like what it is to do business in Africa, to invest in Africa and so on. Um, and and anything that can be done to just like put facts in front of people and realities and just kind of help fight those preconceptions will be will be beneficial for the whole ecosystem. So if any stories like that come out, we expect Africa the big deal to come out with, you know, a headline <laughs> that really paints a, a more a, a more even perspective yeah. <laughs> on just that. A, just a, yeah, an objective one based yes. on based on data and not not based on like the feeling that suddenly everything's going pear shaped just because like my one company might be struggling a little bit. Awesome. Um, so right, one last question. Yep. Are there some countries that you think we should look out for in 2022 that might be creeping up? Um, I, I'm, I'm still very interested in like the, the ones beyond the top four and the ones that are done quite well. I think like Morocco, Tunisia in, in Northern Africa, I think are quite interesting. Ghana in West Africa, um, Tanzania as well I think are the ones where like there have been good growth and very good activity maybe not very large numbers but actually good numbers of deals and I'd really I'd really love to see like more stories like Wave where you have like a, a, a startup base locally raising like a big ticket and attracting a lot of attention and just saying like you can have a country you can have a startup based in this country and raise serious amounts of money I'd love to see some of those in Tunisia, Morocco, Ghana, Tanzania, and beyond. I'll look forward to that too. <laughs> we can talk about it in six months or a year's time. Yes, you definitely need to come back. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm sad that this conversation is ending, but it was a pleasure having you on, Max. My Please pleasure. feel free to drop by again when we've got some you know, more juicy data to get into. And I know you are over there cooking it up and I'm always looking out for your headlines and the data that's coming out and to just see how the ecosystem continues to grow. Thank you so much for stopping by and to our listeners. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the WTF podcast. If you'd like to be a guest or sponsor the podcast, contact us at where's the funding at gmail.com where to find us anchor Apple podcast, Google play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, make sure you listen, subscribe, stream, rate, review, download, share all that good stuff and follow the podcast on Instagram at where's the funding podcast. And follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie on LinkedIn. Max, it was a pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. I love these conversations. It just leave me energized just before the weekend. Awesome.